Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Float Your Boat. I'm Float here with the boat. inimitable Brett Pattinson, and my name is George Sabados. And Brady boy, who do we have on today? Today, George, we have a, a, a lovely lady named Kate Burton. Kate... Tell us a little bit about Kate. Uh, Kate has a company called Queen Bee. Um, now, it's not your ordinary company, really. It's not just let's sell product. Mm-hmm. Let's get product into David Jones. That's not where Kate comes from with her her business. Right. She's um, passionate about beeswax. She's passionate about helping people with depression. Yes. Um, and she's passionate about getting the word out there about, um, you know, the virtues of bees and beeswax. And she's been at it for some time, has she? I think, I think she'd be coming up for 15, 20 years. Um, wow. Yeah. Would you say that she's possibly the be- best um, known beeswax candle supplier in Australia by now? There's only one other that I know that would come close to her, mm. um, and we won't name that company because sure. we're not giving them any free press. Um, but yeah, she would. I would think hers, her candles are probably the best in Australia. Now, from what I. From what you've told me about her, she's quite a lovely lady, and you've um, you, you know you've shared many a moments uh, p- p- pontificating and, and and talking about the things that are wrong with the world and and yeah. what needs fixing. You know when Kate's in the room. Yes, so I've sure. been told. She's she's uh, she's a, a she has a big presence, a big loud voice, and a, a, a laugh, an infectious laughter. Well, if that's the case, why don't we get her in and I can gauge for myself? Well, she won't have as a bigger laugh as yours, but oh, I think I think we'll we'll we'll, we'll have to get the decibel meter out. Okay, okay, so, let's get her in. So let's get Kate in. Float Your Boat podcast about how everyday people created their road to success. The highs, the lows, pitfalls and potholes and how they overcame it all. And now, here are your hosts. So, Kate, welcome to our studio. Thank you. That was really funny, George. Hi. Well, Kate, welcome to our studio. You're like a bit of a muppet then. Thanks. Hi, Kate. I'm so happy to be back. Long time no see. There's the voice of reason. Yes. What, him? Yeah, sure. (laughs) Come on, he's wearing glasses. He's the intelligent one, clearly. Yeah, clearly. JFK glasses. (laughs) Clearly. Even more intelligent. Yeah, they're working. Not. (laughs) (laughs) How are you? Good. Welcome to our humble studio. Thank you. And now we do that thing where we go, Kate Burton, this is your life. Okay, okay. Getting away from his stupidity. So, look, you know, he told me a lot about you and you've had quite a... Can you give me... Can you tell me what he told you? he did say that you're not short of an opinion. Okay. And uh, and that you you are extremely passionate about a particular subject. Yes. uh, Which we'll get into in a minute. But um, tell us a little bit about... I'm passionate about a hundred subjects, I reckon. Right. Okay. Well, let's explore explore some of them. But let's go back to you as a child... Where yep. did you grow up? Uh, Pimble. And yeah, tell us lady. a bit about your earlier years that led you to where you are today, I guess. Uh, I mean, I don't even know where to start. So I had the a fairly idyllic upbringing. Um, one of three girls. I'm the baby of three girls, uh, but the tallest and probably the most boisterous. So my older sisters used to gang up on me. Uh, my nickname is Kooky, not because I'm kooky, but because we were on a family trip one day where Dad explained that Kaikuyu was an aggressive, noxious growing weed, and so my sister started calling me Kaikuyu, <laughs> and Kaikuyu got shortened to Kooky, which has stuck. Uh, and yet, I, I kind of love it. You know, now everyone calls me Kooky in the family, right. and um, 
I love nicknames because nickname, you don't bother nicknaming people that you don't really like. Uh, so upbringing, my parents, we were immigrants. My parents um, worked out that you couldn't really uh, support three girls uh, on a salary. So they were the first ever snap printing franchisees. Um, first business was, you know, we had an aunt who paid um, our school, feel, school fees. Um, and so we were living in Pimble, but mum and dad's first business was in Gosford. So we oh, used wow. to get dropped at school at <clears throat> 6.30 in the morning. And uh, mum and dad would, you know, get up to Hornsby. While dad parked the car, mum would have one foot on the 707 train from Hornsby to Gosford and uh, one foot off the train while dad made a sprint for the train. My memory, and, and, and this is quite interesting, I think, from a personality perspective, because my overwhelming memory or impression of childhood is that mum and dad were always there. And yet the reality is they weren't um, in like in that they were physically in Gosford for a lot of the day and wouldn't get back till relatively late. And why is that? Small running a small business. No, no, no. I mean, why did you have that memory of them? Do you think? Um, ah, different reasons. Uh, so my dad is uh, dad loves adventure. And so every weekend, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, but we'd go on a picnic to North Head or West Head or South Head or a bushwalk and a this and a that. So Dad was always creating new experiences and adventures. And Mum, Mum just... You know, as a parent, how you say to your kids, I'm not a parent, but as a parent, you probably say to your kids, I know everything that's going on. Mum did. I don't know how. She just knew. So there was no (laughs) point in trying to rebel or trying to lie. My big rebellion, and you just kind of go, you loser. Uh, But my (laughs) my big rebellion was sneaking out of home in year nine to go to Bellaroma in Linfield. But it's like the coffee, pl- the coffee place. You loser, Catherine. So while every other... <laughs> Kooky Catherine. Yeah, while every other, you know, year nine schoolgirl would be sneaking out of home to meet a boy or to go to a bar or my big rebellion was going to Bellaroma, which at the time was open till midnight every night. So you didn't sneak, you didn't, you didn't stuff yourself into a tank top and a and, no. a, and a tube skirt. And, and what's more, I got caught. Oh, how so, is that possible? Oh, uh, because I don't know. In fact, I didn't get caught. The friend I was sneaking out with got oh, caught. Okay. And then she was my best friend. So. So you 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 weren't that silly because you, you say in your bio that your um, entrepreneurial skills mm-hmm. kicked in in year twelve. Oh, much younger. Right. So I think, um, you know, with when mum and dad having the printing business, they always had a lot of offcuts of cards. And I used to buy wrapping paper and cut the pictures out of the wrapping paper and stick them onto cards and hole punch them and put ribbon through and then put them into little packs of five and go door to door selling them. Or I'd set up a little stall at West Pimble shops. Um I, I've, you know, evidently we did a cruise at one stage and I spent the whole cruise making crepe hibiscus flowers, which I then sold to everyone. Evidently there was a ball or like a party on one night and I was selling everyone these crepe flowers, so, you know. So it's funny, my first entrepreneurial um, adventure was on a cruise ship as well. What did you do? I had a I bought a Polaroid camera, duty free, and I stood outside the lift Perfect. and took photos of the families when they came out and I was only a buck, whereas the The, the professional ones were five. So that How was my funny. that was my entrepreneurial well, entry. Well I mean, you had a reason for doing that, right? Yeah, I wanted to buy a set of golf clubs. Right. But what was your reason? What 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 motivated you to, to go down that path? I just love business. 
So even when mum and dad had the business in Gosford, mm. uh, we used to have to go up to Gosford in the school holidays. And Evan, like mum and dad had rented an apartment up there and Evan B had had no furniture. So we used to sleep on mattresses on the floor, but they made it an adventure. Anyway, I there was a Mr. Cookie Man in one of the shopping centres near mum and dad's shop. And I got a job paid in cookies working with me. <laughs> Can't you see that? Um, and selling cookies. And I was their best sales. But I just love business. And it's ironic because where I think I was very good at business as a child, I don't think I'm good at, at business as an adult. But, t- but tell us a story about the uh, tuck shop. Oh, yes. Yeah, so PLC didn't have a tuck shop. So Which I find astounding. It probably does now. It probably would, yeah. Um, but I used to run, I used to go to Franklin's on the weekend and buy up chocolate and chips and whatever, and then I ran a tuck shop from my locker. So year to <laughs> year 12 students are a captive audience for bad food. That's fantastic. Um, that is a great story. So you left school year 12, year 12. Year 12 and, yeah. and then where to from there? Well, I so I fell victim to uh, reverse psychology, which I would never fall victim to these days. But my sister told me in year 10 that mum and dad had decided to give up on me and they were sick of arguing with me and trying to make (laughs) me study and so they just weren't going to care anymore and they weren't going to make me study and I thought, F you, Uh, what's the hardest thing to get into? And the hardest things to get into were medicine or law and, you know, so at the ripe old age of 15 or whatever, it was a question of blood and guts or getting paid to argue. And I thought getting paid to argue sounded really good. And so I went from being probably above average to ducks uh, through year 11 and 12. Um, so I'd made quite a naive, ill-informed decision that I wanted to do law and I went to UNSW and did law. Um, it's one of the things when I talk to friends or customers or anyone now, it's like, just convince your child that they want to do something really hard because that goal gives you focus. Um, And so, I mean, I was amazingly focused through year 11 and Mm. 12. I, you know, all I was doing eight hours of studying a day I'm not naturally, I'm pre- like I'd be naturally intelligent, mm. but I'm not, like when I got to university and one of the things I loved about UNSW was they have programs to, like a Bridges program where kids who have left school in year 10 can apply as an adult to get into a law degree or a medical degree or whatever they want. And they do this one-year bridging program. And UNSW had programs for um, Aboriginal students to get into law or whatever, where it wasn't all about academics. And so here was me with a very good academic profile, but I would sit, one of the reasons I chose UNSW was because the lectures were 20, 25 people and you'd just argue for the whole, like you had to read all your notes in advance and you'd spend the lecture time discussing it. And I used to sit in awe of these people with life experience because to do well in the HSC, you really just need to rote learn things. Mm. Don't question it. Just rote learn and regurgitate. Mm. But actually to be a successful lawyer or anything in life, you need to question it. Uh, and so here were, I would say, probably a third of the lecture room was people who, if you looked at us on paper you would go, oh, Kate's going to do better. But I worked very, very hard for probably a credit or low distinction average. Mm. And then there were these people that just questioned everything because they had life experience. And anyway, I loved it. I would just sit mute, which you can't imagine. I can't imagine that. No, but I would. I could actually picture you as a silk, but that obviously didn't happen. No, that was my dream. Um, But then I kept on having this recurring nightmare 
of, and I would wake up sobbing and I was in court and we were arguing about the legal definition of the word and in, you know, section 521B of a piece of legislation. And, you know, on the facts of the case, the just outcome, I can't even remember what the case was because this nightmare was happening 20, 25 years ago, but the facts of the case, the just outcome was obvious, but the court case had nothing to do with justice. The court case was people arguing about the legal definition of the word and in this particular piece of legislation. And that is what the law is. We see unjust outcomes all day, every day, and I'm way too passionate to be a good lawyer. Right. So so after you got over the cold sweats, what did you do about it? Yeah, got out of law and I went into corporate banking. Well, that's better. Well, I I love maths. And corporate banking... I was in relationship banking um, and that's about people. And I absolutely, I've loved all my jobs. Um, I've, you know, I had, I was at Westpac um, and I had two amazing bosses at Westpac and then I got an asshole. But that doesn't mean that I didn't love my job at Westpac, but that was ultimately why I left. Um... So I've always enjoyed what I've done. I love working. And now, a word from our sponsors. This is about the 400th take, listeners. <laughs> this is our, this is our um, for a male sponsor, Mungrel Joe's. Yes, Mungrel Joe's. So, hey, Brett, what keeps you going? I'm not sure what you're implying. I don't like where your mind's going with this one, Brett, but uh, without getting personal, there are many times I need a hit, and not from a bus. What keeps me going is a steaming hot cup of coffee, and not just any coffee. Ah, you must be talking about Mungrel Joe's. Yeah, our proud sponsor. Yes, that deep, rich, tasty and fulfilling coffee that perks you up, puts lead in your pencil, makes you glisten, and puts hairs on your chest. But what does it do for men? Boom, boom. (laughs) It brings out the mongrel in you. God. Seriously, folks. Seriously, folks. Mungrel Joe's. <laughs> That's my line. No, That's your line. <laughs> Mungrel Joe's is the best taste experience ever. It's 100% Australian. And not only is it a performance coffee, it's strong and smooth. Like me, of course, George. <laughs> it's the greatest coffee on earth. The world's greatest coffee. Is it really? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Jump online at mungrelchoes.com.au and give it a shot. Excuse the pun. No, no, no. You didn't have to say that. Well, it's you printed it on the page. You're George. on. You're on fire, Brent. I am on. We fire. could have scratched that out. And just for our listeners to put, put it, put in a discount code, float your boat, and you will get a special discount on your first order. Remember that it's float your boat. One word. If you love coffee, you should try Mungrel Joe's. I'm telling you, folks. Aside from this great script that George wrote. <laughs> and it was so obvious you were reading it. <laughs> yes, George, it was. <laughs> anyway, listeners, Mungrel Joe's, it's, it's the best. If someone asked me to describe myself, I would say that I'm shy in a group of people that I don't know, but with my friends, then I'm more gregarious and extrovert. But I think I think you were you just started Queen Bee, and I think you were promoting it. I think the event had you had product there, right? I think from memory, yes. But that's many years ago. We're talking what fifteen years? Yeah, ago Queen Bee like started that. fifteen years ago. Um, and we got talking and we've known each other since. But how did you get from corporate banking mm. to beeswax candles? So I had panic beeswax. attacks and that was while I was at Westpac when I got the bully boss. Right. Um, I started having... panicking over... <clears throat> panic attacks are irrational. Right. So, you well, for me, I just thought I was going to die. But it, there's no rational basis to it, which makes it extremely difficult to counter. Um, At their worst, I couldn't drive. You know, I moved back home. 
here I was in corporate banking. My parents were driving me around to see my clients. So I'd be in a meeting with a client talking about some $5 million facility and out thinking that they must know what was going on. Like my heart would be pounding. My mouth would be dry. I'd just be... I don't know if either of you have had a panic attack or anxiety, but it's horrendous. Mm. Downstairs, I've got my parents in the car waiting to drive me to my next meeting. And people told me afterwards they had no idea that I was having a panic attack. Absolutely no idea. So... Thinking back, do you still have panic attacks? uh, I think there are a lot of people that say they just have one. That wasn't me. I had them very, very extremely and acutely for probably seven months. Then it took three or four years to manage them. I might have a panic attack now, you know, maybe once a year, but I push myself quite hard. Uh, And I don't necessarily lead a particularly balanced life. And so I think it's a way of my psyche pulling me back into line. So how do you, are there techniques that you've learned to trigger or to, to no, keep them in check? No, I did, f- you know, they say that you should have three or four sessions of cognitive behavioural therapy. I did co- cognitive behavioural therapy for four years, didn't help. Uh, I meditated every week with a Buddhist monk. I, you know, did the St. Vincent's Hospital, had an outpatients clinic that I did. I, ah, like, you know, I saw two different hypnotherapists. I saw two different psychiatrists. I've probably seen three or four different um, psychoanalysts or whatever. I read lots of books. I just, no, for me, uh, I don't have any techniques. Um, I, you know, I try deep breathing if I start to feel anxious. As I say, 99 times out of 100 now, it doesn't turn into a panic attack. One time out of 100, it does. So is there a learning that you've got from those panic attacks? Uh, I, I don't know about a learning. Has, I'm way more, it's therapy, been positive. Has all of that therapy given you a deeper insight into who you are now? Well, think? I think that's the problem with me is I have a very big problem with narcissism. So, <laughs> like, I loathe any self focus. So my natural answer to your question is, no, it's made me better able to help other people. I now have a much better insight into the human psyche. So I now, and it's funny because a friend said to me a few weeks ago, and it's a woman who started volunteering at Queen Bee, and she said to me a few weeks ago, um, you're a light worker and you expose people's shadow side. And there was something quite interesting in that. Uh, I haven't necessarily worked through it. But uh, no, I don't. All of that analysis and learning and blah, 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 uh, I think has just made me more empathetic and better able to help other people. I'm I'm assuming though that Kate that uh, your your path to um, dealing with um, your panic attacks led you to leave Westpac and yeah. leave the environment that was the cause uh, of yes and no. panic attacks. The cause of my panic attacks was the asshole boss. So yes, I left Westpac. Right. I stayed in the corporate sector. Oh, did you? Yeah. So you and didn't imme- immediately go over to no. cre- creating Queen Bee. No. So I t- Queen Bee was too. a hobby. Uh, so, so when did you start? When I saw my GP about the panic attacks, my GP said, you need to get a life because all I did was work. Uh, that's still the reality of my life. I love working. Mm. Um, but at the time I took up oh, lots of things. I took up oil painting. I took up carpentry. I took up pottery. 
I wow. took up candle making. Um, and basket weaving? No. No. Could have. Just wasn't introduced <laughs> to it. a basket weaver. <laughs> ah, I follow a couple of basket weavers basket on Insta. Faces. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, anyway, so I stayed in the corporate world. I'm quite sensible. Um, and I, I've been sensible in business too. So I, I worked full time and did Queen Bee on the side for four years before I jumped into the void to do Queen Bee full time. I think uh, I have quite a Neanderthal brain in that <laughs> I like seeing what I've done each day. It's lovely. You yeah. would know this, yeah. Brett. And actually, yeah, you would, would know, know it too he would know it. from coffee. No, like, it's oh, amazing. No, I think he has a Neanderthal brain. Don't you? Mm, maybe. No, he hasn't got a brain. I haven't <laughs> found it yet. But to get to the end of a day, you know, you can get to the end of the day as a lawyer or in any of my other corporate jobs, and you might have paper to show for it or a really good new concept or idea, but it's... What's that word that I'm looking for? Something it's, tangible. It's not... It's intangible, yes. 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 And in production, it's tangible. Yes. So the reason why candles out of the various hobbies was I was still working in the corporate world. I wouldn't get home until eight or nine at night. You can't start up your belt sander at nine o'clock at night. <laughs> so I would roll some candles. I would use my belt sander on weekends. So I made a dining room table out of ironbark railway sleepers. Oh, wow. I made bookshelves out of recycled blue gum. I've made a creden, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I definitely still, I like, I love carpet. Even now I'm making, uh, what's that, steampunk shelving at work. I love <laughs> making shit. Um, but the candles specifically, it was that I could get home at nine o'clock at night and to kind of like quieten myself down and prepare for bed you know, there's something about candle making where it's probably as close as I get to meditation. So it smells, it's olfactory, it smells beautiful. It's visually absolutely beautiful working with beeswax. Uh, it's tactile. And so it engages all of your senses. And uh, if I sit down and try to meditate, my brain just starts creating lists of things that I shoulda, coulda, woulda, gonna. It's just like, oh, seriously. But if I make candles, my, my or if I do carpentry, my mind just shuts up. I'm so engaged in what I'm doing. So did you be? So along that journey, yes. you obviously became passionate about beeswax. I know that of you because yes. I've known you for a long time. But tell everybody. Why the passion for beeswax, mm. I guess? Mm. So I'm a researcher, hence why I'd thought I'd be a good lawyer. I love facts. Mm. So when I started making candles uh, at the time, and this is 15, 20 years ago, uh, soy wasn't as big as it, as it is now, but at the time there was really mainly beeswax, palm wax and paraffin wax. If you look into it, paraffin is a petrochemical. Mm. So when they're refining petrol, there's a sort of a blue-grey sludgy wax layer and there's a giant arm that scrapes that blue-grey petrochemical sludge off and then they bleach it and that's what we call paraffin. Uh, and that's the vast majority of candles sold these days. Um, soy and palm at the time are both oils when they're harvested so when you process soybeans, you get soybean oil. When you process palm, you get palm oil. To turn an oil into a solid or to make soybean oil into soy wax or palm oil into palm wax, first they chemically bleach it with 100% pure bleach. And then to turn an oil into a solid, you have to hydrogenate it like margarine. Um, and in the case of soy, it's hydrogenated with nickel, which is a heavy metal. So this thing that people are calling, in inverted commas, natural soy wax, there's nothing natural about it. Mm. There's natural soybean oil if you ignore the fact that 96% of soybeans grown globally are genetically modified. 
And if you ignore the fact that 55 million hectares of the Amazon were clear felled last year for soy plantations. So if you park those issues and you're okay with soybean oil, then that's a natural product. Um, But soy wax is a chemically bleached heavy metal hydrogenated oil 100% of the time. And because it still smells, like uh, extra virgin olive oil has a strong smell, when they bleach that oil to remove some of the colour and remove some of the aroma, there's a residual aroma, which is why soy candles are always fragranced. Right, yeah. So soy wax... The biggest soy wax manufacturer globally is a company called Cargill, which is the second largest privately owned company in the world. And people think that this is this lovely hippy-dippy, isn't this great for our health and the environment? Mm. No. There was a... The US government massively subsidised soy production, so they were growing too many soybeans. And there's only so much soybean meal that you can shove into your cows and your livestock, and so they had all of this oil left over, and they thought, what can we do with this oil? And there were two problems with the oil. One, it stinks, and two, it's got a really low melting point. So what we're going to do is we're going to bleach it, hydrogenate it with a heavy metal, fragrance it with chemical fragrant oils, and then because it has a low melting point, we're going to pour it in a jar... And we're going to tell the unsuspecting public that they want soy candles in jars. No, and everyone that knows anything is just standing by the side of the road going, the emperor's naked. Hmm. And everyone else is there going, oh, I love, I love tuberose. You know, I love the Citrudon mossy church pews fragrance. And you're just like, really? Really? Well, anybody that knows anything about fragrance and essential oils knows that tuberose, for instance, real essential oil is about $20,000 a kilo. Exactly. You could never use tuberose, so it has to be fragrance. Yes. But that's maybe... No, but this is the stuff that has to be discussed because there are over 3,000 fragrances that are completely unregulated. Mm. And, you know, we have a massive problem these days with uh, infertility and with cancer and with people being allergic to everything and, 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 and. And we need to have a discussion about phthalates Mm. and parabens and this massive group of products that are completely called fragrances that are completely unregulated. Mm. So I'm not anti-fragrance. I love essential oils. But if you love essential oils, get an oil burner because the flame is never coming in contact with the essential oil. So it's perfectly safe to vaporise or diffuse an essential oil. It's not safe to combust it ever. It creates polycyclic hydrocarbons, which are carcinogens. So we don't fragrance our candles. I imagine imagine mixed with a bit of nickel. Nice. Yeah, special. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So, 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 tell us about beeswax and beeswax candles. And, why is and, yeah? Why is it different? Yeah. Well, we we we're halfway there, but yeah. so beeswax is a natural wax. Beeswax is made by bees. It's I don't know how deep you want me to get into this, but let's go for it because uh, presumably, um, it if you burn it, it's reasonably safe. Yeah. That's it. If I get get too far off course or boring, Mm. wind me up. So bees have six wax glands on their tummy and they go and suck up flower nectar, which they turn into honey, and for three days of their life they extrude wax from these wax glands and and they use that. That's it? That's it. So, so you mean all that wax that we that we are able to get from bees yep. comes from three days' worth of work. So I want you, if you look at your pinky nail, a bee, a female worker bee yes. makes about one eighth of a pinky nail of wax in her lifetime. Wow, so you need a lot of bees. That's it. Which is kind of the miracle of a hive. Like a a hive is really one organism in a way. And yet it's fifty to a hundred thousand individual bees, but there's no self-interest in a beehive. Everyone works for the good of the hive. And whilst Queen Bee seemed like a clever, 
somewhat tricky name for the business at the time, a queen bee's life is godforsaken. So the queen bee just lays up to 1,200 eggs a day. A day? A day. And then when her daughters decide that she's not being productive enough, they create a new queen and they kick her out. That's a swarm. And then what happens? Don't That's they kill super seizure. Oh, so no, the, so, so the so old the queen leaves old with queen. half of her daughters. That's the old queen because going half with half of the girls. Loyal. <laughs> I don't know. That's just the way nature has created it. And like then human beings, really. the worker bees would have created several new queen cells, and the first queen born will generally go and kill the other queen, other queens. And there, so, and when a queen is born, she's infertile, like the female worker bees, and then she goes on a mating flight, and she mates with up to fifteen different drones, and the drones die in sounds the course like of episode. mating. Sounds in like the course episode. of mating, because she, they have a barb on their penis, and so as they uncouple, it pulls out their whole abdomen. The bee world is brutal. It actually, oh, it actually oh. sounds like an episode of the royal family, really. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds brutal. Boom, boom. Boom, boom, yeah. but, so, With a so, queen. With a queen, yeah. yeah. So when the, when the bees swarm, yes. presumably there are some left in the hive. Yes, half. I thought, I thought the hive empties out no. completely. No, All right, and that's how, you, that's how you create more beehives, when you go and... Exactly. When, when, um, beekeepers love swarms. Beekeepers knock them into a box. Yes. Okay. And people normally get, like, they'll see a swarm and they get terrified because they'll see, you know, 20,000 bees. But actually a swarm is extremely docile because before they swarm, they gorge on honey. And so actually it's very hard for a bee to sting because their stomach is so full of honey, it's very hard for them to get their their stinger down. They get a sugar rush as well. (laughs) That's a bit like you with your wife, isn't it? You get too full. Lethargic. (laughs) Lethargic. Yes, that's right. I'm just afraid of the barb. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to go there. So uh, speaking of which, the drones. The drones. How are drones created? They're an infertile egg. So um, so they're like a eunuch. Basically. Uh, and they do nothing. The only role of the drone in a hive is to mate with the queen. And given a queen lives for between two and four years, there's not a lot for a drone to do a lot of the time. So how do you find them in a beehive? They don't feed themselves. They don't guard the hive. They don't forage. They don't... Scout. They, so they just hang around. They just hang around so until the and there are until these. Until the queen goes, okay, wait. Over well, here. and they also they're learning now because from a genetic diversity point of view, the queen doesn't really mate with drones from her own hive. So there's something right. built into queen bees where they seem to know that from a genetic diversity they need to be Fine. mating with drones. And so and they've discovered there are these mating zones in Sydney. The only one I know of is above an oval at Sydney University. What's this, like an exchange of DNA? Well, it's where the drones go and hang out during the day. It's like one of those um, so free the, love pl- centres. That's right. Really? So the drones like go and Tinder, hang out at Sydney University no oval. Way. Yeah, and then any queen that's in that area... I mean, and how they would know this, we're still learning, but any virgin queen that's in that area seems to know intuitively that she needs to fly to Sydney University Oval, which is where all the drones are hanging out. So, that, so there's a bit of rough trade yeah, in the park and the way you go. They're hiding behind hedges. Extraordinary, though. <laughs> it does sound like Darling Park, doesn't it? And then that's it. The queen bee doesn't get to leave the hive again until she's booted out by her daughters. That's extraordinary. And what's more, all the drones are slaughtered in autumn. Because they Why? add no value other than that but one who kills thing. Them? They're sisters, the worker bees, the girls. They just go at it. Yep. And kill all the drones because all they do is eat the honey and the hive need to conserve resources through winter and the queen can lay new drones. She can make more boy bees whenever she wants. Whenever she wants. So come next spring, so in autumn they'll kill all the drones. 
I mean, it's absolutely brutal. But this is what I kind of, when you start studying it and, you know, you read Rudolf Steiner's lectures on bees and when you're deciding what kind of candles do I want to make and you go back to there is only one form of pure light and historically that was only affordable to royalty and the aristocracy. Those were the only people that could afford well, candlelight full stop, which was made from beeswax at the time. In I the feel, 18... yeah, you I go. feel like we're in a game of drones. <laughs> arr, 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 arr. Oh, Sorry, no, I, had no. to get, I had to get that one out. But no, get, <laughs> How long have you been <laughs> fermenting that one in your oh, brain? Well, I just couldn't find an, an in. No, well, look, you know, you know no, bees... but the historically, getting back to historically, so the only people that could afford... That sort of life was royalty and the aristocracy. So, in one way, the discovery of paraffin, which was in the 1850s when they discovered petrol or crude oil, was amazing because it democratized life and kerosene, which, which that's right, which made it available to everyone. That's it. But but the um, I mean, it, it probably explains why beekeepers were were so wealthy. And, and revered. And revered. And, of course, all the churches, the first, they, many of the first beekeepers were monks. Right. And monasteries used to have their own hives and make their own beeswax candles and make their own mead from their own honey. Was it a controlled activity? What? Beekeeping? Mm. No. So it was open to the layperson. Absolutely. Right, okay. Yeah, and it was a way of farmers having some sweetness in their life because they probably couldn't afford sugar. Um, but they would sell the beeswax. And then what happened is the big candle-making companies like Prices, which was one of the biggest candle-making companies in the world, who used to make pure beeswax candles, suddenly because paraffin was so much cheaper, they couldn't afford to have a pure beeswax business anymore. And so they all switched to paraffin and beeswax became like this hippie realm of beekeepers And all of a sudden, beeswax candles went from being the absolute premium, best-performing, enormous golden flame, non-smoking, non-dripping, went to being beekeepers and hippies making dirty beeswax candles from their dirty wax. And everyone else was burning paraffin, including royalty and the aristocracy. You know, Dirty dirty candles? Dirty wax? When bees make wax, when it's extruded from the glands on their stomach, it's white. All right. But you'll never see a white beeswax candle unless it's chemically bleached. So beeswax very quickly becomes tainted with honey, pollen and propolis. Propolis, if you ever see beeswax candles that are sort of mustardy in colour, like on the brown spectrum, that's propolis. And propolis is a resin. Resins don't burn. Don't buy the candle. It's a waste of money. It's not going to burn. So so talking about the beeswax itself yeah. and your company, yeah. how, do you, how do you source the best? Because I know that you're a bit obsessed about having the best beeswax. <laughs> in, a bit? Almost in the world, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Apart from... Well, Australian beeswax is the best in the world. So Australian beeswax is twice the price. Why? Of, because Australia is the only country in the world without the varroa mite. Like literally... The only country, you have to reflect on that. There are a lot of countries in the world. Australia, I mean, this is where our being an island in the middle of nowhere has actually worked for us. Um, So we don't have the varroa mite, which means that our wax is the only wax in the world free from chemical miticides. The people I compete with for beeswax are the global pharmaceutical and cosmetics giants. And for them, like hormone replacement therapy has beeswax in it to um, eke out the HRT over the course of a day or a week or a month, depending on what patch you're on. But it may only have 1% beeswax. So if the price of, like the price of beeswax has gone up 300% in four years, which has been pretty catastrophic for us. Mm. Um, If you're a global pharmaceutical or cosmetic giant, that doesn't really matter because there's only 1% of that in their product and they're working on massive margins. So for us, it, so I take it from when you started Queen Bee to yeah. now, your mission, in a sense, has changed. Or do you have a mission? What do you think our original mission was? 
Well, I, I would have thought back in those days it was to create a product that you could sell commercially. Whereas no. Now, no. No. So Queen Bee started, Queen Bee wasn't meant to be a business. So uh, I was driving across the Harbour Bridge one night and the opera house was lit up in pink. And at the time, I read three newspapers a day and I just had a meeting with, I'd been trying to sell the candles to one of the companies that produced antidepressants and antidepressants are one of the ways that they treat anxiety, I Pfizer. I just had a meeting with Pfizer and Pfizer had said to me, have you heard of Beyond Blue? And I, this is 20 years ago. Uh, I'd never, I read three newspapers a day and I'd never heard of Beyond Blue. And at the time, Beyond Blue's strategy relied on someone high profile to attempt or succeed at committing suicide. Then they would come into the media and say something. But other than that, they seemed to have no media strategy for getting on the front foot. And depression and anxiety weren't talked about 20 years ago. Uh, and so I saw the Opera House lit up in pink and I thought we need to get the Opera House lit up in blue. We need to be having a conversation about depression and anxiety. And so I had this idea called Light Up a Life and I was going to get school kids rolling the candles and while they were rolling the candles, whoever was facilitating that could talk to them about depression or anxiety and all the money that was raised, because everyone ha needs candles, whether it's for a blackout or whether it's because you love candles, everyone has them. And so my idea was that all the money raised would go to Beyond Blue. And, but at the time, I just had this hobby. Mm. Um, so a friend came up with the name Queen Bee. Um, nay, my nickname all through school was Bee because my surname is Burton. So it had nothing to do at the time with bees. Um Anyway, a friend came up with the name. At the time, I was at Hutchison in the corporate world and I was talking to one of our agencies and an amazing man called um, Stuart O'Brien. And Stuart loved the idea and he said, we'll do a logo for you. Um, and so then I got business cards and a letterhead just so that I could send this proposal to Beyond Blue and look professional and whatever. <clears throat> anyway, I said... I only ever anticipated them saying yes. And so I sent this proposal down to them for Light Up a Life to every person from the entire board of directors down to the receptionist. Everyone got this beautiful proposal and they said no. They didn't do public fundraising. And I was talking to Jeff Kennett on the phone, who was the chair at the time, and uh, I was like, well... It's kind of not about public fund. It's not about fundraising. It's actually about awareness raising. I read three newspapers a day. I had no idea that you existed. And he said, well, in the last market research, we did 26% of doctors were aware of us. And I was like, that's a fail. Mm. Anyway, that's how Queen Bee was born. I suddenly had business cards and a letterhead and this hobby and my big plan for changing the world, it wasn't ever about commercialising candle making. It so, was always about <clears throat> lighting up the world and that hasn't changed. So Right, so your mission's still the same. You still... Um... I want to light up lives one at a time. I think we all work harder under more pressure. Every bus is now an advertisement. Every car is an advertisement. Everything is louder. Your phone pings and dings. And I think our brains are in overwhelm. I think no, that mental illness is just your brain's way. Because what do you do if you get depressed? You shut down. You retreat. What do you do if you have anxiety? You go into a darkened room, you absolutely retreat from the world. So I think it's our brain's way of saying, okay, too much. And I know that this incredible product, like I just, I find it an extraordinary miracle to do what I do. I get blown away to do what I do. And the emails that we get... Mm. You know, whether it's that we're 
Like we'll have um, customers that use the candles to read bedtime stories. Or I had one hysterical email that had us laughing because uh, the uh, she had written that when the candles are lit in the evening, the kids know they're not that that's quiet time. I don't know, romantic dinner, bath time. I, can it, you believe? Imagine getting to do that for a living. It works. My wife came came back from a health retreat a couple of years ago, and um, one of their uh, lectures was about how the yellow light from yes. candles um, somehow it has this, uh, ca- had a calming effect yep. and, and prepared you for a, a good night's sleep. That's right. And uh, they they simply suggested that at dinner time you light your candles and then and then operate by candlelight rather than harsh <coughs> white light. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah. So, do you so, do that? Or is that so Zoe can't see you? But, <laughs> but, but no, but do you do that still? We did. And I, I have to say um, it was amazing. Like, really, it was very calming, apart from the romantic aspect. I was about to say, you know, it's, it's not just calming. I mean, I would, like, I'll have... We, we have women that come into the shop and, you know, beeswax candles are more expensive. Hmm. So beeswax as a raw material is 50 times the price of paraffin. Hmm. So if you think of a $2 candle, I need to sell that for 100 bucks to be on the same margins. And then when you consider that that $2 candle was made in China, where the average manufacturing wage is a dollar an hour... hundred US dollars a month. Okay, so less than a dollar an hour, mm. but we pay $25 an hour. Mm. So that $100 candle, we need to sell for $2,500 to be mm. on the same margins. Mm. Now, you can't. Mm. Uh, that $2 paraffin or soy candle, we might sell for $6 or $8. And the comment that we get all day is, oh, your candles are expensive, and it makes me want to cry mm. because they have no idea how if, cheap they are. I was going to say, if they knew... the the story of how much wax that little bee produces mm. and how much work goes into those that colony to create that candle that you're making for people. And then if they, they knew how hard our beekeepers work, mm. you know, nomadic lifestyle on the road, most beekeepers have their backs are shot to pieces because a full super of honey weighs 40 kilos. Mm. It's a physical job. They're the most amazing botanists. And they, they, I just, I adore our beekeepers. They are extraordinary people. Of course, by using Australian beeswax, they then employ people in the local community that go and shop at the local IGA. And so the IGA can employ more people in the local community. And this is, I think, the one of the big conversations that we need to have as a society, because everyone seems to think as they pop along to Westfield on the weekend to do their shopping, that someone else is going to worry about whether high street retail survives or someone else is going to worry whether we actually have any skills left in Australia at all other than Macquarie Bank. Uh, We all need to worry about it. And when you spend your money on an Australian-made product and particularly if you spend your money on an Australian-made product that has a regional component in it, mm. we create the world that we want to live in. But it's harder. Don't go to Westfield. You might have to go, might be take you longer to do your Christmas shopping, but go and shop in your small high street retail stores. They're dying. Mm. My mm. sister lives in London and... Um, She was saying every regional town now in the UK has a boots chemist and a, you know, frigging subway. It's, we... Oh, the whole world's... I find it terrifying. I find it absolutely terrifying. There's no no individuality left in shopping. And yet we all say we want it. Mm. We'll start walking the walk. If you want to live in a world where there's variety and skills and vibrant regional communities, then walk the walk because no more talking the talk. Mm. I've had, we have, because of what we do, we have some of the most extraordinary retailers in Australia by definition. Mm. 
Mm. Your average run-of-the-mill shop isn't looking for beeswax candles. Mm. So you've either got passionately um, eco-organic kind of shop stocking our product, or you have very progressive thinking, design-oriented stores that know that people with architect design ceilings and gorgeous tables don't want soot all over the ceiling and don't want wax all over the table. And that's beeswax. You know, if you buy a beeswax candle, it's not sooting and it's not dripping. So how do people get in touch with you? And because you do courses and, and we things. Do. And... We're doing lots of things now. So we... I think we might um, jump in and do a course with you. Well, oh, I'm good. Me. Come and play. George and Brett. Come, and play. come and do I'll, a beeswax wrap making w- course and that'll change the world. beeswax what? Wrap. Oh, wrap. Yes. So yes. it's an alternative to plastic, a natural alternative to plastic. Yeah, I'll do that. And um, they're expensive. We do sell them. But the other thing that we're doing is teaching courses because if we're genuinely going to change the world, then people just need to know how to make their own because you can make your own far cheaper than paying my staff $25 an hour or me $25. Yes. In fact, I earn about $1.20 an hour, so I don't know what I'm carrying on about. In fact, last year I earned a true minus $1.20 an hour. Um, as far as the tax man knows. No, no, no. Unfortunately, unfortunately it's uh, reflected it's, in the bank account. But, mm. you know, so, that's the reality. So what? So you've got a website, Facebook page? Queen B. Just the letter B, not the yeah. word B. So queenletterb.com.au. We're on, we do, we try and do everything that you need to do, but we're a team of two and a half people hand making 150,000 pure beeswax candles a year, packaging them. Queen Bee only exists because we have volunteers that come in every week to package the candles. So we do our own Instagram pretty badly. We do our own Facebook pretty badly. Uh, I do my own bookkeeping <laughs> under that? enormous stress. I hate bookkeeping. Um, I design my own packaging. I actually think in packaging we punch well above our weight. Um, you know, people say the website looks good. Yeah, I, I know what goes on in the back end, which is just, <laughs> oh, there's me at two o'clock in the morning trying to work out how to set up a discount code so that I can write a newsletter. Anyway, you so, know, that's small business. Your packaging looks beautiful, just like you, Kate. Oh, so, so George, it, it's beautiful. You have a lucky wife. So. That's not what she says, but... Uh, so, no, but so that's why I, they get on. Tell, I, I noticed your song. Yes. Said, and I had to listen to it this morning before and I came. You should have listened and, two and weeks ago really, when I sent it to really you. It's really lovely. Oh, I tell you, yeah. the last two weeks. Okay. Crazy. But <clears throat> because I'm a small business owner too, yes. so just as George was, he's now in retirement because he's a, a, no, a coffee temp- mogul. I'm in a hiatus. Yeah, you never no. retire. No. Right. From being an entrepreneur, I'm, I'm, I'm a drone. No, you're not, baby. So, <laughs> so, so, tell us the song. Uh, my favourite song is "A World of Pure Imagination." It's the Willy Wonka song, and it's done. Wow. The version that I love is done by a band called Crazy Penis. Although I think they changed their name to Crazy P. But it's it's funny because it's sort of a reggae thing as oh, well. It's, it's just, it's, and the thing that I love about it is the front of it, the top of it sounds a little bit classical and then this bass comes in and your foot starts tapping and then the bass comes in more and your shoulders start moving and it ju- and then it becomes a full-on dance song and you're just like, oh, my God, it's good. So, Kate... Turn your radio bass. up and enjoy. Oh. So, Kate, it's been an absolute... You are one of a kind. You the are. The Queen Bee. Thank you, my darling. And thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you. And and maybe we'll... I'll be looking forward to doing a couple of courses with you. Well, you maybe... just light your candle that I brought you. I will. It'll maybe nice. blow your mind. And I'll rub myself down with oil. Oof. Oh. Just uh... stop Ooh. it. Stop it. La, 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 la. It'd be like a National Geographic episode, wouldn't it? Uh, the mating of the wildebeest. Oh. <laughs>
Anyway, Fresh. on that note, yes. Kate, thanks for coming in. Thank you Truly, for having me. We really Thank appreciate you for it. helping and spread the could, word. Maybe we could get get you back in at some point to talk more. That'd be lovely. Because, you know, we've gone over well over an hour. Sorry. And, and we're only halfway through, really. Mm. I mean, you've got a lot There's more There's a lot say. more that I'd like to ask you, but we'll leave that for the next time. We'll leave that for dinner. Thanks, Kate. Thanks, Kate. Bye. Make a wish. 